the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make every crooked path straight. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In our last broadcast, we looked at illustrations of uh, consecration in scripture. And we looked at three examples. We looked at the example of Esther. And we noted that in Esther's case, she was a virgin among so many other virgins. And yet, even though they were virgins, they needed to be purified. They needed to be made ready, that is prepared to be able to serve the king. There were certain things that were still deficient in their lives, in spite of the fact that they were chaste, they were virgins. Being born again is just one part of the entire story. It's good to be born again. However, you must be sanctified. You must be purged. You must be purified. You must be prepared. And additionally, you must consecrate yourself, separate yourself, set yourself apart, be perfumed with the fragrance of the Holy Spirit and be made ready to be presented to the Lord for divine service. Esther was prepared. We, we, we learned that they spent 12 months doing that, that, that preparation, that purging, that purifying, that perfuming. And then when it was time for presentation, they were now presented to the king. We looked at the example of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These were boys that the Bible says that they were without a blemish. But they had to be able, they had to have ability to stand before the king. But in spite of this, Daniel and his friends refused to be defiled by uh, 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 engaging themselves in eating the dainties of the king. In, in Colossians chapter 3, the Bible makes a statement that um, lets us understand that we can serve God even in the secular. It, we, 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 we don't only serve God from the pulpit. We can also serve God in secular engagements. Colossians chapter 3, reading from verse 22 to 24. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. A servant here could be a civil servant, serving his nation. It could be an employee, serving his employer, or whatever. So when we say servants, we're not just talking of house helps. We're speaking of people who are serving employers. Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Those are your, 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 your worldly masters, your secular masters. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. You are serving God, even though you are serving that man. Even though you are working in, 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 in an office, it is God that your service is unto. In verse 23 it says, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Always remember that. The person you are serving is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so Daniel and his, 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 his friends understood this and would not be defiled by the dainties of the king. They would not be defiled by the paraphernalia 
of office. They did not allow themselves to be carried away by those things. Rather, they consecrated themselves to the service of God so that even though they were serving in a secular employment, it was as unto the Lord. Consecration makes us serve God, even in the secular, such that we do not defile ourselves with the trappings of the world. In Daniel chapter 6, you can read that on your own. We, we, we read about how Daniel, amongst um, uh, two other vice presidents, was preferred above them and the, the 120 satraps beneath them. And these people felt that if Daniel was to take that position, it meant that he would hamstring them because of, of the, the, his nature. He was not given to corruption. He was not given to being swayed by the appeal of the world or the trappings or whatever. And so they plotted and wanted to a, a way by which they could entrap Daniel. And they said, there's only one way by which we can entrap him. It would be in the matter, in the matter of, his, of, his king, of, of, of his God. And so they went to the king and said, let no man pray to any God except to you. When Daniel knew that that had been done, he went ahead and prayed publicly so that they would know that he knew that it had been signed, but he was going to serve God no matter what. I think we, we, we mentioned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego at some point in time. These were three, three Hebrew kids who had entered into the service of Nebuchadnezzar. And one day Nebuchadnezzar had made a golden image, uh, a, a massive image, and said that when they, heard, when they heard the sound of trumpets and so on and so forth, they should come and bow before this image. They refused. And they were threatened with death. By, by being thrown into a furnace of fire. But they replied to the king and said, we are not careful to answer you on this matter. The God whom we serve, he will deliver us. But even if he does not deliver us, we want you to know that we are not going to bow to this idol. They were thrown into that furnace of fire. The Bible says that the king himself looked at the furnace and said, wait a minute, did we not throw three men inside this furnace? But I see a fourth man, and the fourth man is like unto the Son of God. When we make ourselves ready to serve God in whatever position that it is God we are serving. That is when we see God coming to be strong in our behalf. You may be a pastor in a denomination. Let me tell you something. Your service to your Jehovah must be as unto the Lord. It is what God is saying that is key, not necessarily what your Jehovah is saying. It must be as unto the Lord. If you have the conviction that what God is asking you to do is contrary to what he, your general overseer is asking you to do, you go ahead and serve God and allow God to be strong in your behalf. But it takes consecration. It takes a dedication unto God and unto his service. Thirdly, we looked at Ruth. And we, and, and we noted that Ruth was someone who had the opportunity to, to, to be discharged from her obligation her marital obligation, having lost her husband and her mother-in-law was willing to return and her mother-in-law wanted her to actually return to her own people. But she would not be discharged from that obligation. She insisted that she was going to follow the, the, the mother-in-law and said to her that your people will be my people. Where you live, I will live. Where you die, I will die. Wherever they bury you, there also will they bury me. She made a commitment. That is, the, that is what consecration is about. Where you have made up your mind that wherever the Lord sends me to, I will go. Whatever he asks me to do, I will do. However he decides that I will serve him, I would serve him. Even if it is death, so be it. I think it's in, in, in Romans that the Bible asks the question, what shall separate us from the love of God? Will angels, demons, 
Is it good things? Is it bad things? What is it that will separate, can separate us from the love of God? Consecration brings us to that cementing of our relationship with the Lord. Like Abraham, we must leave country. We must leave culture. We must abandon close ties so that we can be committed to the service of God. In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 5, the Bible says, And truly, if they had, that is Abraham and the others, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. For example, when Abraham entered into Canaan, he met the people of the land there. He could have returned and said, what is this place? I thought, it, I thought the land was free, but he stayed. And not only that, there was a famine. He could have returned, but instead of going back, he went further down south onto Egypt. He had the opportunity to go back many times. In fact, when he was going to take a wife for his son, Isaac, he sent the servant to uh, Haran to go and take a wife from his father's house, but he made clear to the servant, he said, if the girl would not come, no problem, you are free of that obligation. But on no account are you to take my son to that place. Consecration severs ties from the world, from the flesh, from personal desires, from personal ambitions. The focus is now on God, his vision, and his work. This is part of what we looked at. And I believe we, we ended by looking at the hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be where our consecration must be of every part of our being. In the broadcast today, we want to establish some basic truths concerning the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the crucial things is that consecration, which we have been speaking of for some time now, is not an end in itself. Albeit, it is a critical step to an end, but it is not an end in itself. The truth about the gospel is that our salvation must lead us to the service of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Otherwise, our salvation is meaningless. Our salvation is, is useless. Our salvation is senseless. If our salvation, if we were saved for the purpose of buying cars, building houses, and those, on, and those other things that men chase after, then that salvation is useless. That salvation is earthly. And has no basis in scripture. The salvation that God has called us to. Is a salvation that has meaning. And so the processes that we've been looking at. Sanctification. Consecration. Service. Is that process of salvation leading on to divine service. We recall when we started we looked at Genesis chapter 12 verse 1. Where the, where the Lord told um, Abraham get thee out of thy country away from thy father, away from thy kindred, away from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show you. And we said, we said at that time that get thee out of thy country typifies salvation. Away from thy kindred typifies sanctification. Away from thy father's house typifies consecration. Unto a land that I will show you typifies divine service. But having said that, there's a, a passage of scripture that puts it, puts it very, very succinctly. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And I'm going to read from verse 67 through to verse 75. You recall that before John the Baptist was born, the, the, the Lord had prophesied to, through an angel to John the Baptist's uh, father that his wife, who, both of them being advanced in age, 
was going to bear a son. He, he, he did not believe. And so he was made deaf and dumb. Now, after John was born, and they were going to name, they were going to name John, the, um, the, 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 the mother of John said he was going to be called John. But the relatives around said, no, 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 no. There's none of your relatives that is called that. So they motioned to the father what his name would be. And then the father asked them to bring something, a slate. And he wrote the name John on it. And they were dumbfounded. Now, as a result of that, the Holy Spirit filled him when, when, he, when his, his hearing returned to him and his, um, his speech returned to him after he had confirmed that the name was going to be John. And this is what he said, being filled with the Holy Spirit. So we read from verse 67 through 75 of Luke chapter 1. And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, that is salvation, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. The reason why God brought us out of the world, sanctified us, and filled us with his spirit so that we can serve, minister, and worship before him acceptably. That is the essence. The salvation, the sanctification, the consecration is so that we can serve before him. And that service includes our ministering to him. In fact, it is in essence our ministering to him, our worship to God. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, first of all, it says, um, uh, I, uh, I, uh, I beseech you, beloved, let, let me read it. I, let, let, let me just read Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Another translation puts it, which is your reasonable act of worship. We're going to look at the issue of service, I think, in another broadcast. We may not be able to do that here. But our service to God is our act of worship. Worship is not, is not the singing of songs. No, it's not the beating of instruments. Worship is what we do to honor God, what we do to please God, what we do to glorify God, whatever it is that we do that is pleasing to God, that action is an act of worship. That is our service unto God. And for that act of service to be acceptable unto God, we must present ourselves unto God, a living sacrifice. Esther had to be presented to the king along with the other maidens. The king chose Esther because Esther received what was given to her by Haggai, the, 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 the chief 
of the, of the eunuchs and took it to go and worship the king. And she was preferred. We must receive from the Holy Spirit what it is, the paraphernalia, if I can use that expression, that we need to be able to serve God acceptably. The Bible says we are to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. A sacrifice in those days when you tie the ram. The ram stays wherever you tie it. As you are leading the ram to go and uh, 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 slaughter it, it just goes. The Bible tells this about the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was led as a sheep before his sharers and he kept mute. He was, he, was, he was crucified on the cross, praying for those who crucified him. The Bible says that when he was reviled, he reviled not. That is a consecrated life. He realized that what he was doing was an act of worship before God. We must present ourselves as such living sacrifices. People who have made up their minds that wherever God wants them to die, that is where they will die. However God wants them to serve, that is how they will serve. Whatever it is that the Lord requires of them, that is what they will do. That, my brothers and my sisters, is what consecration is about. There is no room for selfishness in consecration. Everything is about God. And it's our reasonable act of worship. We must present ourselves, not just as living sacrifices, but as holy. People who are holy, acceptable unto God. One of the things that we don't understand is that after having been saved, there are certain things that will still be in our lives. We need the sanctification of God. We've discussed this to remove that. This is the essence of the gospel. The gospel is not just to preach and bring you to church, but also while you are in church to teach you to be able to remove, purge out the old leaven, the old man, and then be renewed in your mind so that the new man can come forth, which is created in holiness and righteousness. It is this holiness of the new man that brings God into our lives, that engenders Christ into our lives. The Bible says we must put off the old man before we can put on Christ. In verse 2 of, of chapter 12, it says, and be not conformed, emphasizing don't be conformed to this world. Don't, don't, don't allow the world to mold you into its form, into its fashion. Don't be squeezed into the mold of the, of, of the world. But be ye transformed. Change your form. Be changed in fashion. Be changed in form. As the Lord, just the same word as, as when the Lord was transfigured, was changed. So you should be transformed, you should be transfigured by the renewing of your mind. Renewing of your mind with the word of God. So that you can prove experimentally, practically, that will of God. Which is good, acceptable to God, and perfect. You can't add anything to it. You can't subtract anything from it unless you are transformed in your mind. You will never be able to prove what the will of God really is. You will be seeking for the will of God. But when it stirs you in the face, you will not be able to say, this is the will of God. You will, you will end up, you know, coming up with all kinds of things, believing or, or, or wondering whether this is the will of God or not. Because the will of God for you, may not be the, the same will that God has for your, for your brother or, for your, or for, your, for your sister in the Lord. So it takes you going through this process, this procedure of sanctification and consecration 
for you to get to this place where you can serve. You will now see that in that Romans chapter 12, by the time you look at verse 3 down to verse 8, it now begins to discuss the issue of service. The, the precursor must be sanctification and consecration. Otherwise, our service is meaningless. It is only after we have dealt with the issue of sanctification and consecration that we can truly speak of serving God acceptably. Serving God in a manner that is pleasing to God. Yes, through salvation, we go to heaven. That is true. But what happens before then? Some of us have been born again for decades and we've not died. We've not gone to heaven. We are saved. So what has happened between the time you got saved and the time you will depart to the Lord? It is the time when you are prepared for eternal service. That eternal service starts here on the earth. It continues unto heaven. The parable of the ten virgins easily comes to mind at this point in time. There were ten of them. Let's, let's read Matthew 25. Matthew 25, where that parable is. From verse 1 to 14. This is the Lord speaking. It says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil. For our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, No, say not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they, they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. That's verse 13. The issue here is, there were ten virgins called to serve God. Five were wise. They made every preparation, having oil in their lamp, even though they slept. But they had oil. They had all the, all the preparations were made. But the foolish ones made no preparation. It reminds me of in, 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 in our secondary school days. You'd see some students who would come to school and play and play and play. And yet, when it's examination time, they will pass. And then you see some others who will follow those other sharp students to play. And then they will fail. The sharp students were doing something extra. They were studying at home. They were coming to play outside. Then the foolish ones, not knowing that some people are studying at home, joined them to play. That is how it is. You are born again. But what have you done since you got born again? We've discussed this. The Lord Jesus, I think in Matthew chapter 12, I believe it is, where he, he, he mentioned the issue of a nation that they cast out, a, a man that they cast out a demon from, out of his life. And then the demon went around dry places looking for rest and could not find any. And said, well, let me return to the place we are from, where I was cast out and see what it is like. And then he returns and finds the place garnished, empty. Just kept empty, they are clear. The fellow had done nothing in his life. And the demon went 
to go and bring seven more spirits, more wicked than himself, and they entered that man. And the Bible says that the end of that man was worse than his beginning. Are you one of those who is going on this trip of once saved, always saved? I beg you, beware. Once saved, always saved works where the matters of sanctification, consecration, preparation, and so on and so forth are taking place. But if you are doing none of those, your, your salvation doesn't mean anything. It is meaningless before God. And so, when we, when we speak about these things, we are speaking of challenging us to, 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 to abandon this strange gospel that people are preaching to us and come to the truth that is in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That salvation, first and foremost, is not an end in itself. Neither is sanctification, nor is consecration. Even the service itself that we have here on the earth is not the end. It is a service that begins here, but continues unto eternity. We need to learn from these ten virgins, particularly the wise ones, but also from the mistakes of the foolish ones. It is time to get serious with God. It is time to stop jumping from one church to the other. Saying that there is anointing here or no anointing there. What is your own relationship with God? How much of God do you know from his word? If you looked into the perfect law of liberty of the Lord, would you find your own freedom from it? Or you need somebody to lay hands on you to be freed? The Bible says, I believe it's in Proverbs chapter 11 verse 9 or so. It says, by, by knowledge shall the righteous be delivered. He's talking of the righteous, those who were made righteous, those who were rather declared, pronounced righteous as a result of their own repentance from sin and they're inviting Christ into their lives. It is by knowledge that they are delivered. In John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, and I think uh, 34 or 35 also, the Lord Jesus spoke to the Jews who said they believed. He said, if you continue in my words, then are ye my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It is the truth that makes you free, not the laying on of hands. It is the truth in the word of God that you are intimate with, that you know that is what makes you free. You can jump from one place to the other seeking deliverance and never get it because you are not interacting with the truth. The truth is the Lord. Lord Jesus said, I am the way the truth and the life. The truth is also the word. The Lord is called the word. You need, to, you need to get yourself into preparation as you look at the word of God. If you find yourself in a place where all they talk about is miracles from morning to night, you better get out of that place. That's not the church of God. The church of God is built on the word of God. The church of God is a place where the word of God entering into your heart stirs you up in the spirit. To seek after God, Father, not to seek after things. By the time you get into the world, you will discover that it is God that you'll be chasing after, not things. We are to be purged of the old man. We must be purged of the old man. Purified as the new man. Prepared to be able to stand before the king of kings. Perfumed with the fragrance of Christ. Do you know that when Jacob was blessed by his father, his, his, um, his voice would have given him away. But the father smelt the, the garment of Esau that he put on and blessed him. 
If God were to listen to you and I, he won't bless us. It is Christ in us. It is Christ that we put on that brings the blessing of God upon us. Not the hand of a man, but the hand of the Lord Jesus himself. That is why we must put on Christ. It is Christ that has pleased the Father. It is he that we must put on to please the Father. It is what he asks us to do that we must do. I think he told us, he told us in, 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 in John chapter 14. He said, the, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will not speak of himself. It is what we tell him, the Father and myself, that is what he will say. So that's why we say, let us get friendly with the Holy Spirit. Because whatever he's telling us is from heaven. It's not from men. There are many people who have been talking of, oh, the Holy Spirit is telling me this. When you hear what they are saying, it does not even agree with scripture. And I need to say this, that if you want to know when the Holy Spirit is speaking, whatever he says must agree with the written word. God has given us this written word and for some reason he has not allowed the written word to be polluted by men. If you notice all the Bibles, different translations that would try to water down the word of God, it doesn't go, it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't go anywhere. But look at the scriptures that bring forth the, the, the very word of God, expounding it and making it to be relevant, to be, to be known to us so that we can be intimate with it. Those are the Bibles. Those are the translations that you find that the, 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 the beloved of the Lord will, 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 be, will be gobbling up and be eating up. So we are not just purged, purified, prepared. We are also perfumed with the fragrance of Christ. It is what the Father smells. And then, with that, with that fragrance, with that perfume, we can now be presented unto the Lord. We are now presented to Him for service. In, 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 in that presentation, in that service, it is a service that will continue from here unto eternity. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. This is Paul writing. Uh, uh, he said, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. We are to be presented as a chaste, pure virgin. Virgins are usually chaste. So why does the Bible use the word chaste virgin? It is because of that purification process. So Paul was saying, he's saying here, Look, I have, I have made a, a, an, a, an agreement, as it were, to, to marry you to Christ. And before I can do that, to present you in a, in a sanctified and consecrated form unto Christ. Don't fool yourself into thinking that God is so badly in need of people that he will take whatever is thrown at him. No, God is particular about who comes to him. We've looked at the, 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 the ten virgins. I would have thought that he would be excited that there were ten and that only five came in. No. He, was, he picked only the five that were sanctified. Only the five that were consecrated. Only the five that were ready. So you better make yourself ready. Open yourself up to preparation by the Spirit of God. And by the way, stop thinking that the gospel or the work of God is about you personally. No, it is not. It is about the Lord Jesus Christ and those that he has chosen. 
But more importantly about the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why the Bible tells us something in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. About the people that God wants to use. And you'll be amazed at the credentials. That the people of this world will never believe that such people can be chosen by God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 26 to 31. For ye see your calling, brethren. How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many intelligent people according to the flesh, that is, in, in worldly sense, they may not even be degree holders. Not many wise men after the flesh. Not many mighty after the flesh, of course. Not many noble are called. They are not called in nobility. So many people are called in poverty. Many people are called not, not having anything to their name. He says, but God has chosen the foolish things. We were considered foolish. The gospel too is considered foolish. He has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise of the world, of course. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yeah, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. Let me pause here. If you think that God does not accept you because you are poor, then you have missed the essence of the gospel. God saw you poor and called you in that state of poverty. If he wants to make you rich, fine. But he saw that you were poor and he wanted to show those who are rich that even though this boy doesn't have anything, I am still with him. He wants to confound those who are carrying money all over the place and making noise and disturbing everybody's ears. That yes, these ones don't have, but they have me. The things that you want, they have, even though they don't have money. Money cannot buy life. Certainly cannot buy eternal life. Money may buy a car. It may buy a private jet. But money cannot take you to heaven. The Bible says that riches have wings, and they fly away to heaven. But the owners are left behind. So let us stop chasing after things that we think will make us great. When the Lord called Gideon, Gideon said to the Lord, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. <laughs> God said, you're a mighty man of valor. Go in this your strength, and you will, you will deliver Israel from the Midianites. He didn't understand what God was saying. It is not you it is Christ in you. The Bible says Christ in you is the hope of glory. It is Christ in you. It is Christ that you put on. It is not you. That is why people can go to herbalists, can go anywhere, can, can try the occult and come up and, and try to lay claim that it is the work of God they are doing, it is the miracle of God they are doing. They are just deceiving themselves. It is those who put on Christ that God is interested in. In verse 29 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 again, it says that no flesh should glory in his presence. There is no place for pride. There is no place for boasting. The Bible says, what is it that you have that was not first given to you by God? Why are you boasting? So what is, the, what is all this boasting about that we hear from so-called men of God? In verse 30, it says, but of him, of Christ, or of God, are ye in Christ Jesus. Who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. It is Christ that is this in us. Remove Christ 
and we are nothing. The Bible talks about faith without works being dead. The body without spirit being dead. And I say to you, the Christian without Christ is dead. Any Christianity that hasn't got Christ in it is dead. It's vain. It's useless. It's hopeless. It's meaningless. It is going to achieve nothing. The gospel is about Christ. Our service is about Christ. We are vessels and he occupies us to do his work within us and through us. We are vessels. He's occupying us to do his work within us and through us. In 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, the Bible says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. If a man would, sanct would prepare himself, would present himself for sanctification, would consecrate himself unto the Lord, he will become a vessel unto honor, fit for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. The Lord will fill him. The Lord will do his work through him. I've said this before, best repetition, that the work of God can only be done by God, acceptably unto God. So what does God do? He brings man, this frail man, this man that is considered foolish to the world, this man that is considered weak to the world, this man that is considered nothing to the world, he fills him, sanctifies him, brings him to the place of consecration. And then he now begins to do his work through that man. The man will be a fool to think that there's something in him, there's something about him that is doing the work. No, it is God. I think I've used the illustration once. Imagine yourself having to carry a heavy load, wearing a set of a pair of gloves in your hands. And then when you carry, when, after you've carried the load, and you've uh, you know dropped it somewhere, and you drop the, the gloves afterwards. The gloves begin to boast to other gloves that look at the heavy thing I carried. Does doesn't that make crazy sense? Doesn't that sound crazy? Doesn't make any any sense. That is how we are like gloves. God puts us on, and does His work. All we do, all we need to do, is to give Him glory. But before then, we need to be purified. I mean, you wouldn't put your hands into gloves that are filthy. What you would do is to turn the gloves upside down, wash it thoroughly, have it dried, perfumed, purified, and whatever. Make sure that it is properly sanitized before you put your hands into the gloves to carry the load. This is what the gospel is about. That we are those dirty, filthy gloves. And God brings us out, saves us, from the, brings the gloves out from the dustbin. Saves us from out of the world. Turns us upside down. Cleanses us. Washes us bleach and everything. Dries us out to be clean. Perfumes us. So that the filth of the dustbin of the world is removed completely from our lives. And then he puts his hands into the gloves. And then begins to do the heavy lifting. It would be crazy for the gloves to think that there's something about them. No, it's the same. God has purified us. 
He has purchased us. He has brought us to the understanding of consecration and is ready to, to, take, to, to put us on so that he can do his work. The place of service. Pride chases God away from us. The Bible says that the Lord regards the proud from afar. That is why humility is one of the greatest attributes that the Christian must have if God is going to be with him. We cannot flaunt anything because there's nothing to flaunt. We were nobodies when God picked us up. He says, not many of you are wise according to the standard of the world. Oh, there may be some wise ones. But the Bible said earlier, it said those who are, who are wise, let them become fools that they may truly be wise. So even those who claim to be wise, they must become like as fools. We must drop every grab of pride. Otherwise, the Lord will depart from us. And then we'll discover that the gloves are empty. They can't even lift anything. They can't even, until somebody lifts the gloves up, the gloves can't lift anything. Sin separates us from God. You must avoid sin. These are, the, this, these are the reasons why the Lord comes in in the way of sanctification and consecration. To remove pride from us. To eliminate sin from our lives. Worldliness makes us an abomination to God. And God can never be near an abomination. Worldliness is going to... Is going to in fact, God will just abandon you and walk away. He won't even look at you. Because you have, you have become an abomination. This is the essence of after you have been saved, that you have been purged, been purified, been prepared, been walked, been separated away from the world, away from culture, away from close ties that, ha that, are not, that, 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 that will not endear you to God. He brings you to that place where you are completely detached so that he can now attach to you. And with that attachment, the Lord can do what it is that he wants to do. So that the investment that God has put in each and every one of us must never go to waste. His investment in us is the sanctification, is the consecration. Why? Because of service. Because of ministry. Because of worship. Those three words are the same. In the next broadcast, we shall elaborate more on this issue of service. But we must understand that this service... It's not what I decide I want to do. It's not what I like to do. It is what the Lord wants me to do. I think we looked at that some time back. I'm not sure whether it was the last broadcast or the one before that. Where, where the Holy Spirit came, it was the last broadcast. In Acts chapter 13, the Bible says, As they ministered unto the Lord, the Holy Spirit said to them, Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I had called them. They were ministering to them and they separated them. There is no way they would even, even have understood the essence of missions as at that time or the location that the Lord was taking them to until they were separated from them and then the Lord took them all over Galatia. In the second missionary journey, when, they, when, they had finished with, when Paul had finished with Galatia, the Bible says he wanted to go into Bithynia. The Holy Spirit would not let him go. He wanted to enter into the, the area of Ephesus. The Holy Spirit would not let him go. And then at night, he had a vision. So a Macedonian man saying unto him, come unto me, come, come unto Macedonia and help us. And then he said, definitely the Lord wants us to go to Macedonia. And they went to Macedonia. And you would have thought that when they entered into Macedonia, it would be cheering and everything. No, it was tough. The first person they met was a woman selling purple. They preached to her. She gave her life to Christ. Glory be to God. She, she insisted that they come and stay in her home. The second person they, they ministered to was a girl who was employed 
as a soothsayer by her masters and she was bringing gain. And this girl was there broadcasting. These are the men who are bringing the words of salvation to us. I thought they would have been excited that this girl was broadcasting. But the Bible says that uh, Paul was, 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 was uh, annoyed in the spirit and cast out the demon from that girl. And the girl became normal. That was the second person in, in, in the church in, in, in Philippi. And then, as a result of that deliverance, the people were, up, were angry. They beat uh, Paul and, his, um, uh, and Silas, his mate, and threw them into dungeon, the deepest part of the dungeon. And whilst they were bound with hands and feet in some dirty, stinking cell, the Bible says they began to praise God. They were not praising God because they wanted to be free. It was a normal part of their lives to worship God, even in the dungeon. So as they were doing what is normal, to worship the Lord, to pray unto God, to praise Him, the Bible says that the prison, the, 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 the entire prison was shaken. Chains fell off, not only Paul and Silas, not only Paul and Silas, but all the prisoners. And the jailer was about to kill himself. And Paul said, no, don't. Today's Christianity would, would, would even be encouraging him to kill himself. Fall down and die, fall down and die. Instead, they preached the, way of, the word of salvation to him, himself and his family. His first action was to serve the Lord. How? By washing the wounds of Paul and Silas. He became a member of the church. There was no way that man would have heard the gospel if Paul and Silas were not put in that prison. So going to prison is not a bad thing in itself. It just could be God's will for you to be there to bring salvation to somebody. It is time we stop grumbling about God's work. Remember that whatever you are going through, God is going through with you. Let, let me read Isaiah chapter 63. Isaiah chapter 63. I believe it's verse um, is this 7 or 9. Isaiah 63 verse 9. Verse 9 says, In all their afflictions, in the afflictions of Israel, in all their afflictions, he, the Lord, was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them, and he bare them and carry them all the days of old. In your affliction, he is afflicted. Whatever pain you are going through, if God were not there, you would die from that pain. But because God is there, you are able to bear the pain. He's sustaining you. He's keeping you. So please, I'm pleading. In our consecration, we must understand that it is not an end in itself. It is taking us somewhere. It is preparing us to be able to serve God acceptably. Because the Lord Jesus is going to come into us. He cannot, Bible says that God is of, is of purer eyes than to behold evil. So he must, he must come into a vessel that is holy. A vessel that is purified. A vessel that has the fragrance of Christ. It's like you going into a hotel room that has filled the smell. I'm not, I'm not sure you want to sleep there. So what do you do? You would get the, the hotel people, and that's what hotel people do. They, they make sure that the bedding is right, the, the atmosphere is okay, the, the odor is right, everything to make the room appealing. Then you can stay there. In the same way, the Holy Spirit is making us appealing so that the Father can indwell us. The Son can indwell us. And in so doing, can do their work through us. The work of revealing themselves to mankind. In 1 
Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. The Bible tells us that it says, We or ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people, a holy nation. Let me let me read it. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has chosen us, has purified us, has made us holy, has made us priests. Priests always serve. He's made us a peculiar people. The world will hate us. They have to hate us because we're peculiar. So that we can show forth the praises of God who has called us out of darkness into his light. We are to show forth to people that this is what God wants to do. In Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10, the Bible tells us the purpose of the church. And the church is a group of believers together in one place serving God in a locality. In verse 10 it says, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. God wants to use us to, to, to declare to principalities and powers both of good angels and evil spirits that in the world, if these people were in the world, they would be enemies. But I have brought them and there is peace. He has made the two to become one. By way of peace. He is our peace. Not only did he bring peace between us and God. He brought peace amongst ourselves. It is wrong in the church to have discrimination. That is not the church of God. Ethnicity does not play a role in the church of God. Nationalism has no place in the church of God. The minute we begin to bring all those things. Racism, ethnicity, nationalism. And all those things that divide men into the church. It ceases to be the church. The church... Is the place where men of all race, all color, all, all skin color, all tongues come together as one. To show to principalities and powers the many-sided wisdom of God. And for God to do this, look at the investment that the Lord has made in each individual that forms the church. In sanctification, in consecration, so that we can serve before him acceptably so that he can he can demonstrate to the world what his ultimate plan is that there will be peace on earth by reason of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ I want to use this opportunity tonight to ask you if you have not been born again maybe you've been going to church but you have never confessed your sins before the Lord and asked the Lord to come into your life I plead with you to do it today I'm not going to lead you in any prayer. You can do it with your, in your own language, whether in English or whatever, your native tongue or whatever. Just ask the Lord to come into your life. Ask him to forgive you of your, of your sins. Let him, let, tell him that you know that you are a sinner. You accept you are a sinner. And you have only one Savior, Jesus Christ. Come and save me. And come and begin your work of sanctification, of purging, of purification, of preparation, of perfuming, of presentation. That I might serve before you all the days of my life in holiness and righteousness. And as you say that prayer, I also want to challenge those who are born again indeed. And who have been trying to live the Christian life. To redouble their efforts. Commit your life unto God. Rededicate your life unto God. 
Let not, don't be moved by the things of this world. Open yourself unto God and ask him to come and help you to be made ready for him to indwell you and do his work in you and through you. When next we meet, I'm praying that the Lord will expound the issue of divine service the more unto us. God bless you.